Good morning. Well, we are getting near the end of our series that we've been doing, our deep dive into the book of Mark. Our series has been called Remarkable, and today we're going to, we're going to do things a little bit differently than maybe some weeks. We're kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of just do a walk through a number of verses, because today we're going to be looking at the crucifixion of Jesus. And, you know, it is the most pivotal moment in all of history. You know, from, from creation and the fall all the way through the history of the nation of Israel, uh, the Bible's narrative of just continues marching and moving towards this one event. And it ends with the place where Jesus steps out of heaven. He steps onto the earth. And he lives and he breathes and he dies. And it's on a cross. And today, 2,000 plus years later, we actually still mark time on our calendars by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is so central, so pivotal. And so this morning, like I said, I'm going to walk through kind of the final hours of Jesus' life and his death in his most powerful act of love that has ever been shown. In 1996, uh, Adeline and I and our son Benjamin moved from uh, Langley, British Columbia, where we were in a youth ministry, and to small town of Outlook, where I, I began a business with a couple of business partners, and, uh, and at that time, I was able to graduate from a, a salary of about 50000 a year to a salary of $12,000 a year. And uh, we got to experience some really unique things. We got to experience government-subsidized housing. Uh, we got to experience uh, trying to figure out how we were going to put some food on the table at the end of the month. You know, and we scraped, and it was hard, and it was tough. And I remember one morning in the church that we attended, Outlook Alliance Church, and as we were walking into the church that morning, on the side were mailboxes, and each family had our own mailbox. And I saw there's an envelope in our mailbox, and so I pulled it out, and it just had our name on it, just Rod and Adeline. And I opened it up, and I found it was stuffed with $20 bills. And I was just blown away. It still causes some emotions for me today. And, and, and my, my first thought was, who does this? Who does something like this? What kind of person would do that? And now I know that there are many in our church here and many in the churches and the people that I've served along with over the years who are generous in just exactly that way. And many of you are, are generous in the way that you pay forward things like that and gifts to other people. In fact, Adeline and I have had opportunities in our lifetime to be able to pay that gift forward into others' lives. But you know what? That moment in time still stays with me. It's embedded with me. And it still affects me. But Jesus, John writes this, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What kind of love does this? 
Mark writes, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And you know, by now, because Jesus was so weak and exhausted from the flogging and the brutal beating that he endured, the soldiers pressed this man, Simon, to carry the cross for him. And now Jesus had literally been carrying the cross only a short distance from Pilate's headquarters into the Jerusalem streets when he stumbled and he could no longer carry it. And so Simon was pressed into the service. But, but Mark, I believe Mark here was actually sharing that symbolically he has actually already been carrying the cross all the way from Caesarea Philippi, where if you flip back a number of chapters into Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus there began teaching the way of cross-carrying. And ever since that point, he's been reminding his disciples about what discipleship and what cross-carrying will mean. And so the cross symbolizes discipleship as submission to submission to God's rule. And Jesus' own cross becomes the symbol of his submission to God's demands, even unto death. And so in Mark 31 and 35, sorry, 8 verse 31 and 35, it says that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And then he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What kind of love is this? So then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. The soldiers offer him wine, and, and it's like a pain-killing drug that was in it to help to blunt the pain and blunt his senses. But he refuses, and when he does this, he signals his willingness to drink God's cup of God's wrath towards sin right to the dregs. Jesus will not artificially dull the pain if God has willed his suffering. Just a few days earlier, Jesus' disciples, James and John, had selfishly asked him, Lord, let one of us sit on your right hand and one of us sit on your left hand in glory. And Jesus said to them, guys, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And then, just a few hours earlier than this scene in, at the cross in the garden, Jesus, when he was praying, said, Abba, Father, everything is possible with you. Take this cup from me. And then he followed, not what you will. Sorry, not what I will, but what you will. 
Jesus knew that to complete his mission, he needed to enter it willingly and fully. And once he had discerned and determined to complete the Father's will, Jesus determined to be fully aware and fully choosing right until the end to face the full fury of God's wrath against sin and also to face the onslaught of the enemy that was going to come against him and the full hatred and every force of the enemy that would that we part of this titanic eternity changing battle and so Jesus faced the cross fully aware fully choosing what kind of love does this? And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. Four short words. Mark writes, they crucified him. Mark gives no description of the crucifixion. His readers would need no explanation. Crucifixion was the cruelest form of execution devised by the Romans, and it was used only for non-Romans who were guilty of treason and insurrection. It was meant for the lowest of the lowest of the low. It was meant not only to kill, but to destroy any sense of a person's humanity as they died. And they took Jesus' clothes, removing every sense of dignity that he might have had left. And the charge, king of the Jews, was actually intended as a mockery and as a warning to anyone else who might consider opposition to the Roman rule. And in John's gospel... He writes that earlier in the day in his trial in front of Pilate, Jesus said, the reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. You know, some say that because Jesus was not only human, but because he was also divine, well, that his death was not has been as horrific as he had just been a human like you and like me. But Jesus was completely human. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote, he emptied himself, meaning that he lived his life, he died completely human, depending completely on the Holy Spirit and the voice of the Father to lead him. And so he experienced everything that you and I have ever experienced in our lives. He experienced all the joys. He experienced all the sorrows. He experienced pain. He experienced treason. And he experienced disloyalty. And on the cross, he experienced every kind of an emotion that we could imagine that we could feel in such a horrific experience. What kind of love does this? They crucified two criminals or two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus died between two criminals. Luke, in his gospel, commented that one of the criminals 
actually eventually believed in Jesus and accepted him as Savior. But Mark actually makes no comments about the criminals other than they also joined in mocking Jesus. He has a different purpose in his writing. In Mark chapter 10, verse 38, when Jesus asked his disciples, James and John, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, they had answered boldly, we can. But they couldn't. And Jesus knew that they couldn't. Not yet. Not in their own strength. They weren't crucified next to him, sacrificing their lives. In fact, with the exception possibly of John, the disciples were not even there at the cross. They failed. But one day they would be able to. One day they would be able to take up their cross. One day they would be able to drink whatever cup the Lord gave them to drink. One day they would be filled with the Spirit. But today wasn't that day. And Mark wants us to see that Jesus died alone, and he died the death of the despised criminal among criminals. What kind of love does this? And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teacher of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this king of Israel... Come down now off the cross so that we might see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Come down from the cross and save yourself. He saved others, but he couldn't save himself. They, they should have known and believed because Jesus had healed and Jesus had saved and Jesus had been proclaiming the new kingdom that was coming to all of them in their presence for years. They should have known. What they couldn't know was that they were actually testifying to the truth and the very significance of the cross. Because you see, Jesus, to be who he truly was, could not come down. He could have stopped the cruel passion, if, but if he had, he knew that he would destroy the one central mission and reason for which he came, and that was to die. For them, the mockers, and for you and for me. And so he gave up his authority, and he gave up his power. He gave up his capacity to protect and to save himself. What kind of love is this? At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those that were standing heard this, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone, they said. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. In the final three hours, Jesus endured what was the worst experience, far worse than anything that we could ever suffer. Alone, cut off from his father, with whom he had never been separated for all of eternity. Facing the worst that the enemy could bring, becoming sin for us. And Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And Paul later wrote, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us. So then in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus gave up his place with the Father, trading it to become sin for us. You know, some view Jesus' crucifixion and separation from father, his Father in terms of a sacrificing son and an angry, distant God. And yes, Jesus was the sacrificed one, but our heavenly Father also sacrificed and suffered that day. His sacrifice was that while deeply loving his son, he deeply loved us, and he let him go to be cut off from his beloved son. The lyrics of the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, we're going to sing it later, describe this powerfully. The song goes, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure, That He Should Give His Only Son to Make a Wretch His Treasure. How Great the Pain of Searing Loss, The Father Turns His Face Away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. What kind of love does this? And then it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. With Jesus' last breath, he shouted the word, Finished! And then he died. And in the temple, a few miles away from where Jesus died, in the middle of the temple, there was a three-inch thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the sinful people of the nation. And that curtain was a symbolic and significant dividing point between sinful humanity who could not approach God and a holy and almost unapproachable God. 
who could only be approached once during the year by a high priest who would bring a sacrifice of atonement for his own sin and also for the sins of all the people that he represented in all of their sacrifices of atonement. And as Jesus breathed his last breath, that curtain was torn in half. In that moment of Jesus' death, everything changed. The penalty for our sins was paid. Our sacrifice, one sacrifice paid for us all. And the dividing curtain between a holy God and sinful humanity was removed forever. Through his life freely given, we are now invited into God's presence. Just like the access that Jesus had with the Father, Jesus opened the way to the Father for all of us. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a heart, a sincere heart, and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. A new and a living way to God through Jesus' blood and his body, direct access to the love of the Father. What kind of love does this? And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. If we go back to the beginning of Mark, Mark began his gospel with this sentence, the story of the gospel of Jesus, the son of God. And here the Roman centurion bookends the story saying, surely this man was or I could say, surety, this man is the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. That's the kind of love this is. That's the kind of love this is. Before I move forward, maybe you're here today and you've never had the opportunity, or maybe, maybe you know God or about God but you haven't taken the step of knowing him as your heavenly father and Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you know what? Maybe this is the first time you've ever been to church and you've heard a story like this. So this morning, if you've never prayed to receive the gift of salvation and God's forgiveness, you know what? You can do it right now. I'm actually going to pray a prayer and if if that's the decision you want to make in your heart to follow Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, 
And you want to respond to this gift of what he did for you on the cross. Then just pray this prayer together with me. God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. And I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. And I invite him to come into my heart and trust him with my life. I'm willing to trust him as my savior and follow him as my Lord forever. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer together with me, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. You know, I, if you have prayed this prayer this morning, I want to encourage you, would you share it with a friend? Let somebody else know that you've made this decision. Or even at the end of the service, we will have a prayer team up in the front and maybe just come down to the front and share with them so that they can share with us because we want to celebrate together with you coming into the family of Jesus and the family of the Father. And for all of us this morning, I just want to invite you right now just to personally respond to Jesus' love. And I want to just ask you just to take a couple of moments just as we sit here to receive his love in your heart today however he chooses to give it to you. I'm going to just pray a short prayer, but when I've done that, just ask him, Jesus, what would you like to say to me today? Can you do that? Jesus, I just want to pray right now as we are just in your presence. Just breathe your love into each one here this morning. I pray this in your name, Jesus. This morning we've experienced, and I hope as I've just kind of walked through, that we may have felt, we may have experienced, and even as you were just asking and receiving from Jesus that, that he actually expressed his love to you. I know that often when I ask him you know, that question, Jesus, what do you want to say to me today? Many times the first thing that he says to me is, I love you, Rod. And that might have been what he said to you this morning. But whatever he shared with you, whatever he said to you, just, I just pray that you receive it from him and from his love. But this morning I want to just close with what, what does it require of us? What kind of love? What does it take for us to respond to this kind of love? What, what does eternal love require of us? I just have a couple of things 
kind of points of encouragement, but also of challenge. The first one is this. It requires worship and gratitude that is reflected back to Jesus and to the Father, accepting with open hands and with open hearts that our salvation, our life in Christ, and our eternity are the gift of the love and the grace of God through the sacrifice of our Savior. It requires our gratitude and it requires worship. And secondly, it requires a love that will see past opposition and resistance and even hatred, possibly aggression, towards Jesus and towards us as his followers. A love that will see past that to share and to demonstrate the Father's love and Jesus' sacrifice with others who truly need to experience that love and that grace that we've experienced. And then thirdly, it requires a love that will resist our own self-promotion and our pride. It requires a love that will set aside our own self-will and choose to follow Jesus' path of serving and sacrificing to the Father's will just like he did and just like he taught us. And then finally, it requires a love that will respond out of the love that we've been given to share this message of Christ's sacrifice and the Father's forgiveness with the people that God places into our lives and into our paths. So that's the kind of love that Jesus asks of us.